0: Hey y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Eves. And welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers a little bit more about history every day. The day was February 13th, 1692. It was the dead of winter in snowy Scotland. But at about five o'clock in the morning, More than a hundred soldiers who had been quartered in the homes of members of the MacDonald clan in Glencoe, Scotland, murdered the people who they had been staying with for more than a week. The soldiers went from north to south Glencoe, gathering troops, killing McDonalds, and burning down homes as they forged a murderous path through the blizzard. The soldiers killed around 38 people that day, and even more died of exposure after the attacks ended, as they had no homes. The Glencoe Massacre was a terrible outgrowth of the Glorious Revolution and Jacobite rising in Scotland in the late 17th century. King James II of England and the VII of Scotland was Catholic, and Protestants weren't so happy when he gave birth to his son and heir, James Francis Edward Stuart, who was set to be another Catholic in the line of succession. Between this and his other perceived wrongs to Protestants, he wasn't going to be able to keep his seat on the throne much longer. Civil unrest and anti-Catholic rioting were on the rise. So in 1688, a group of higher-ups in England invited William of Orange, a Protestant, to take the English throne. James was deposed and went into exile, and William and Mary became joint monarchs in 1689. But not everybody was cool with William and Mary's reign. Some people were still loyal to King James II and the House of Stuart. Those people who supported King James II and his descendants and wanted the House of Stuart back on the throne became known as Jacobites. Obviously, William and Mary weren't too keen on people who weren't loyal to them. They figured that the Jacobites were ticking bombs and they needed to do something about them. Since many Scottish clans were still loyal to King James II, the new government tried to get the clans loyalty by offering indemnity to all chiefs who signed an oath of allegiance before January 1st, 1692. And if they didn't take the oath, well, that would force the government to respond with fire. So the chiefs took the oath, but logistically, it was difficult for them to actually sign the oath because they had to have a magistrate or sheriff as witness and winters in Scotland could be cruel. Some clans were also already tied up in an oath with James Stewart. So they had to wait until mid-December to be released from that agreement. Alastair McLean, the chief of the McDonald clan, was one of many chiefs who didn't make the January 1st deadline. He would have made the deadline, but there was no sheriff available to accept his oath at Fort William, and he had to wait until January 6th. Either way, the other chiefs who missed the deadline were given indemnity, but Alastair McLean wasn't. Instead, Scotland's Secretary of State ordered the McDonald's to be punished with the utmost extremity of the law. Soldiers in Archibald Campbell's Argyle Regiment were sent to slaughter the McDonald's, but they didn't show up with guns blazing. The soldiers arrived at the McDonald's homes in Glencoe in early February, asking if they could stay there because Fort William was full. The McDonald's agreed to quarter them, as was customary, and the soldiers stayed in the McDonald's homes for 12 days. But on February 13th, as the blizzard raged through Glencoe, the soldiers began killing their hosts and destroying property, committing the massacre they had been ordered to carry out. The Campbells, who were a rival clan of the McDonald's, made up a lot of the soldiers, and the Campbells have said that they were responsible for the atrocities that day. But it's been said that some of the Campbell soldiers may have told their hosts what was about to happen. And years later, the Scottish Parliament declared the massacre slaughter under trust. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you'd like to know more about the Glencoe Massacre and other tidbits from history, listen to the episode of Stuff You Missed in History class called Six Impossible Episodes by Request. We'll see you tomorrow. Hey, y'all, I'm Eves. Welcome to This Day in History class, a show where we one day ship nuggets of history straight to your brain through your ear hole. The day was February 13, 1879. Indian poet and activist Sarojini Naidu was born. Naidu was also the first Indian woman to be president of the Indian National Congress. Her poetry earned her the nickname The Nightingale of India. Naidu was born in Hyderabad, India. Her mother was a poet and her father was a scientist and philosopher. She was the oldest of eight children and some of her siblings were activists and poets naidu spoke several languages and she began writing poetry at an early age she began attending madras university at age 12. several years later she moved to england to study at king's college and girton college there she became involved in the campaign for women's suffrage when she returned to india in 1898 she married a non-brahmin doctor Though he was from a different caste, the families approved of the marriage. The couple eventually had several children together. Her first collection of poems, The Golden Threshold, was published in 1905. That same year, the British partitioned Bengal, which separated the majority Muslim eastern areas from the largely Hindu western areas. Having gained an interest in politics through her experiences in England, Naidu turned her attention to the Indian National Congress and Gandhi's non-cooperation movement. The Indian National Congress is a political party that formed in 1885 and was at the forefront of the Indian independence movement. The non-cooperation movement was a non-violent effort to get the British government to grant self-governance to India. Naidu joined the Indian National Congress in 1905. She traveled around India, speaking about women's education, helping impoverished people, and nationalism. She met with social and political leaders and artists like Gopal Krishna Gokhale, Robindrat Thakur, and Sarala Devi Chidrani. In 1917, Naidu helped found the Women's Indian Association, along with Annie Besant, Margaret Cousins, and others. In the following years, she continued to argue for women's suffrage and speak out against issues like child marriage and sati, when Hindu widows would burn themselves to death on their deceased husband's funeral pyres. Naidu also joined Gandhi's Satyagraha movement, one of nonviolent resistance. In 1925, she became the first Indian woman to lead the Indian National Congress. Naidu was jailed a few times for her anti-British activities, including for manufacturing salt and for her involvement in the Quit India Movement, which advocated for an end to British rule in India. India gained independence from Britain in 1947. That year, she became the first governor of Uttar Pradesh, then called the United Provinces. Throughout her life, Naidu continued to write poetry and incorporated it into her speeches. Some of her other published poetry collections include The Bird of Time and The Broken Wing. Some of her poems were published posthumously. Her poetry is known for being lyrical with rich imagery, conveying messages of love, longing, and separation. She died in 1949 in Uttar Pradesh. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you have any insight on an accent or pronunciation spoken in the show today, you can feel free to send us a kind note on social media at podcast, Or if you are so inclined, you can send us a message at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you same place tomorrow.